open my mouth, you'll realize that I'm beset with a cold, so you'll pray that I still have a voice by the end. Um, I had an odd experience this week. I had um, the message that's listed in your bulletin, uh, the text and the title and the outline, and been prepping that this week and working on it, and um, was extraordinarily unsettled about it, and um, decided this morning that I was not going to preach that sermon. Um, so, um, I'll, we'll come back to that text. It's an important one. The reason that I was unsettled is, uh, let me paint the picture for you and then tell you where we're actually going to go. So, we've been, if you'll recall, in a series on the attributes of God, and we're to the attribute of God being gracious, that He's gracious to us as people because of the sake of His Son, what we'll celebrate at the table this morning in a little bit. And we've been thinking through the implications of that. So, one implication of the fact that, uh, if you think of Romans 8, 1, that there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is that God, as I'm in Christ, living that lifestyle of repentance and faith, God's not judging me anymore. Judgment's done for me. The verdict's in. And the verdict is righteous because of the sake of my son. So we're received into the family of God uh, on the basis of Christ's righteousness. Um, he is dying on our behalf. So God's not judging me anymore, which holds out the possibility of a couple of things. One is that I could stop judging me. And we thought about that a couple of weeks ago. And now we're going to spend a couple of sermons thinking about the fact that if God's not judging me and I'm not judging me, that I don't have to judge other people. I could be free of that. And so that was originally what I was going to preach this morning, but I realized as I was Working and tweaking that sermon, which I'd originally preached in my congregation in, in West Seattle, um, that I, I was having to pull things out of it related to the parable um, of the prodigal son, what's commonly called the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And I realized how dependent the sermon I was going to preach was on having an understanding of Luke 15 and that parable. And so that's why I felt unsettled. And so that's actually what we're going to do this morning. We're going to make our way through the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I am extraordinarily thankful to Asher, who's in the sound booth, who retweaked the slides for me this morning. So thank you, Asher. I appreciate it very much. Um, so Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 to 2, and then verses 11 to 32. And um, pretty simple sermon, pretty profound text. So Lord willing, the text is what will shine. So Luke chapter 15, and it's really important that you start here. Luke 15 is three parables in a row. The, what's commonly called the parable of the prodigal son is the third one. There's two between which we're not going to read, but you've got to see the opening to see what Jesus was, what problem was Jesus trying to solve? Here it is. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. This was the problem. That is a very odd thing to be a problem. This is a great reputation to have for individual believers and for a congregation. This is the right rep to have. But it was a problem. It shouldn't have been but it was. 
who were the troublemakers. And the Pharisees, verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners. Uh, let's try that again. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus goes on because of this problem, and he tries to help his audience and us understand that it is a problem. The judgment is a problem. What were the Pharisees and the scribes doing? They were judging. They were judging two groups of people. They were judging the sinners, those people, those dirty people over there who do those nasty things. And of course, not including themselves in that. It's those people that are sinners. So judging people that were obviously sinners. They're also judging Jesus, though. They're also judging someone within uh, the people of Israel, what was the church at the time. They were judging within the body. We'll think about that more as we go on in future sermons about why that's such a problem. It's been a problem here, but why it's such a problem. All right, go down to verse 11 in the parable of the prodigals. I'm going to read this and pray and think about a few things here. So Jesus is again speaking, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Well, some of them did. Now his older son was in the field. 
And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, it's striking to see your heart of mercy and grace on display. It's equally striking to see how destructive a judgment is. And we know that's what you're after here. It's what you're what you want to uproot in our hearts. It's what you want to show us. And so show us, Holy Spirit, about the destructiveness of judgment and where it comes from. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the, the opening tells you where we're going. So where does judgment come from and why is it dangerous? That's all we're going to try and answer this morning. Where does it come from? Why is it dangerous? Very simple title. So the judges are the Pharisees and the scribes, and so Jesus is trying to lay open their hearts. He's trying to contrast for them his own heart compared to their hearts, his own heart of mercy compared to their heart of judgment. And so he tells this parable, uh, and let me, I'll give you some features of the parable here, and we'll, very simple sort of message. So there's uh, two sons. The more proper name maybe for this is the parable of the prodigals because uh, the focus, um, the, the, the uh, slobble that has the emphasis um, is not actually the younger son. This parable is, and so it, there's a history to the interpretation of this parable and um, Ken Bailey and then through Edmund Clowney and then into Tim Keller is how it came into parlance that we actually understand or we recover that this message certainly, and we'll think about this more as we make our way through, it is certainly for people who know themselves to be very bad sinners, who have tried to go and live their lives on their own and, and um, you know, get it done by themselves. It is certainly that is part of the message. But it is also most certainly the case that the, if you read the opening, that this parable is Jesus trying to deal with the judgmental, self-righteous proud. 
within the people of God as they judge other people within the people of God. That's what he's after. And you know that from the opening. So a man has two sons. The young one um, does the most insulting thing that you could possibly do. He basically says, Father, I wish you dead. I wish you dead. And the way I'm going to tell you that I wish you dead is give it to me now. Give me my inheritance now. Act like you're dead so I can get what I want. And so he gets his inheritance, which is stunning all in itself. That this father doesn't just drive him off and give him nothing. It just says he divided his property between them, right? Which would have been two-thirds for the older son by the things that were in place then and a third for the younger son. So a third takes, the younger son takes a third of all his father's got, and he goes out, and he lives terrible, breaks all the rules. The older son, uh, it's interesting that the, the narrator here, Jesus speaking it, um, uh, he just labels it reckless living. And it's fascinating that the judgmental one is the one who has to bring out the details of the reckless living. Spends everything. There's a big famine. The, son's in, the younger son's in need. So he hires himself out. And he hires himself out to the most disgusting thing that a Jew could possibly do. Pigs were unclean animals in Judaism. If you touched one, you became unclean. And here he is. He's living with them. He's feeding them. He smells like a pig. And he's just yearning that he might have the food that the pigs have. It's a picture of absolute devastation of rock bottom because of choices that have been made. And so he starts to conspire a plan, right? He kind of comes to his senses, and he begins to think back to his father's house and what it was like in his father's house and what was good and beautiful about his father's house. He had wanted to reject the father and to just have the father's stuff, but he's like, it was was better back there. And so he begins to conspire and put together a plan. He begins to put together his speech. Any of you do that? You pre-write the speech? I do. I pre-write the speech. I spend so much time pre-writing speeches. So he pre-writes the speech, practices it. Father, I've sinned against heaven. And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You have to be, you have to be very observant to realize that the practiced speech is not the speech that actually occurs. It's an important point in here. So he goes, he comes back to his father. And so far, you've only been, you've only been observing the actions of, of the younger son, of the one who's been rebellious, of the one who's returning. And now the scene shifts, and now what comes into view is the father. And the picture that you get here is, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, how's that possible? I have um, a couple of pairs of field glasses, one that my wife got me several years ago for Christmas and one that I inherited from my father when he passed away in December. And I like to take my field glasses and I like to look at birds and see the details of things from a distance. 
you can look a long ways off with a decent pair of field glasses. You can identify a bird, see all kinds of things. So you have to imagine the father there on his porch looking down the path with his field glasses every day, looking, waiting, watching, hoping, praying. Which is why he could find the son when he was still a long ways off. Because that was the father's heart. It's always the father's heart. To receive those who are returning is always the father's heart. Whether it's from spending everything recklessly or it's from the sin that you keep falling into, the father's heart is always looking to receive you back. So he comes to his father. He's still a long way off. The father sees him. And what does he feel? He feels judgment, of course, because that's what he deserved. Is that what it says? No. Amazingly, amazingly, he feels the opposite of what I typically feel. He feels compassion. He feels compassion. And he runs, which is, there's a whole riff that Bailey goes into about this, um, that this was just not what Middle Eastern patriarchs did. This was unseeming. But he does. He doesn't care that it's unseeming, that it's inappropriate, that it's not culturally in sync. And he runs. And he braces him and he kisses him. And the son, of course, has got his practice speech, Right? So he's got a speech all practice. He's ready to go. He's got his note cards. He's, he's on. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat. He doesn't even get there. He doesn't even get to finish his speech. Because the father cuts him off. The father's, well, he could have just received him back as a, as a hired hand, and that would have been gracious in itself. He cuts him off. He doesn't even let him finish the speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Bring the best robe. You have to see the high, high contrast. The father says, nope, you're in the family. I'm re-including you. Despite the fact that you wanted me dead, I'm receiving you back. And so he gets the robe and he gets the ring, the signet ring that says that he's a Uh, he's in the family. He can seal for the family. Bring the best robe. Put it on. Put a ring. Shoes. Bring the fattened calf, which would have been like, you know, once a year kind of festival meal. 
and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. My son was dead, but he's alive. I have an uncle um, that was born drunk. No, seriously, sadly. My grandmother was a violent drunk, and um, she had such troubles with alcohol that my, the two older siblings took the two younger siblings after they got married young to get out of the house into their own homes to finish raising them because such was my grandmother. And so she was drunk when she gave birth to my uncle, and so my uncle was born drunk. And it's had no end of problems because fetal alcohol syndrome, all those kinds of things. It, very, very difficult life. For an 18-year period of time, we did not know if he was alive or dead. He was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they celebrate. Well, most of them do. And now the story shifts again. So you've got the heart of the rebellious son, the the repenting heart of the son, um, that this is the way that God receives people who who know themselves to be very great sinners. Um, I try and convince as I work with different churches that the problem today is not that as you talk with younger people that they don't think that they have problems, that they don't think that they have sins. Their Their great difficulty is they can't believe that God would actually receive them. They know they're messed up. And so they need this assurance. We need this assurance. If you're a very great sinner this morning and you're going, there's no way that, preacher, if you knew what I had done, what has been done to me, how much of a wreck my life is, there's no way God could receive me. And this passage is meant to tell you there is absolutely a way that God can receive you because that's what his heart is like. As you come to him, he receives you. It's that simple. You come turning. So what does the young son do? <clears throat> he t- very simply, he turns from sin back to the father. It's very simple. It's a picture of repentance and faith. Turning from running life my own way, and instead I'm going to come back and I'm going to live in the father's house in relationship with him and do it by faith. It's a picture of repentance and faith. Notice that it's easier for the very great sinners among us to come to faith. Who's it hard for? You just have to look at the older brother. They begin to celebrate. Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house and he hears music and dancing. And he's like, what's going on? What happened? And the servant comes out and says, um, you're... I'm tempted to do a map version here, but um, your brother's come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And the older brother rejoiced because he'd been praying every day that his brother would come back. He was aligned with his father's heart of compassion and he was there on the porch with his own field glasses looking down the road every day. Yearning, desiring, seeking that the, the, his younger brother would see the, the error of his ways. And 
Yeah, that's what, we, that's what it's supposed to say. If this was a story that we would write, but it's not what it says. He was angry. He was angry. And can you imagine this? He refused to go in. Nice party. And you see the heart of the father again. His father came out and said, what was that speech? What was that speech? I wonder. Did it sound something like, can't you rejoice with me? My son, your brother, he's back. This is so good. Why are you so mad? Why can't you rejoice? And he answers his father. It's fascinating. The, the younger son insults his father by saying, I wish you dead. Give me your stuff. I'm not interested in you, but I do like the stuff that you have. Could I have that, please? That's the way he insults the father. The older son, (laughs) this is gutsy. Look. You're meant to sense that kind of feeling in this. Look. These many years, and this is, Typically, the ESV is really good, but at this spot, this is a little weak. Look, these many years I've slaved for you. And that's the emotion. That's what you're supposed to hear. It wasn't, so neither of these sons, sadly, were um, allied with the father's heart. The younger son, it's more obvious Right? He's not allied with the father's heart. He's kind of like, um, you know, I don't really care about you, but I'll take your stuff. And the older son says, yeah, slave master. And that's the way he, he viewed it. Not as a relationship with the father, but as though he was slaving. Look, these many years I've slaved for you. I've always done, now I'm going to do the Matt translation. I've always done what's right compared to the screw up. And not only did you not kill a fattened calf for me, you didn't give me a little, little goat, nothing. I ain't got nothing from you. Well, there's the, you know, the two thirds of what he would have inherited. It's, it's a little something. Father points this out, by the way, later. You never gave me a young goat that I could celebrate. Notice the way he refers to his brother. When this son of yours, when this son of yours, not my brother, he disowned him. He didn't have a brother anymore. To the older brother, The younger son was lost and never found. This son of yours, 
who is devoured. It's a very, very interesting word. Because who's devouring right now? Who's devouring at this moment in the parable? The older son is devouring the father with his pride and his judgment and his words. There are people devouring a fattened calf celebrating inside the house. And outside in the house, maybe on the same porch where the father looked for years for the son to come back, the older son is standing there and he is devouring. It's a very important word scripturally about the way you use your words. If you look through scripture in the way that its words are talked about and their destructiveness towards others. It's a very important word. He's devoured your property with prostitutes. Sorry, parents, you're going to have to explain that one. Um, you killed the fattened calf for him? For him. Come on, Dad. It's all kinds of insults I could use at this point that I will resist. Come on, Dad. Get with it. How ridiculous is this? The father keeps entreating. He says to him, you have to hear the softness, the, the, the compassion towards this son too. Because the father does, father in heaven does have compassion towards both kinds of prodigals, right? If God did not have compassion towards prodigals like me, when I, was, when I first learned the gospel, when people were first telling me about Christianity, I knew nothing. I had lots of friends who loved me and shared the gospel with me. You'll hear more of this in the fall when we do an evangelism conference. Um, but I, I knew nothing and I had friends who loved me enough to tell me about the gospel. And I was studying Christianity, and I was holding it out here like it was a diamond, and I'm kind of like looking at the different facets of it. I eventually got to the point where I understood Christianity as a religious system. I understood what it was trying to say. But I got to the end of that, and I'm like, oh, okay, I think I get Christianity. I think I understand it, but it's a religion for sinners. And I was kind of like, well... If there's a sinner in my family, it's my older brother. (laughs) Not me, Lily White me, of course. But the, the wonderfulness in this parable is that the picture of the Father in heaven is one where he entreats both. He entreats people who try and make an identity for themselves by being very bad, live their lives on their own, by living very badly. And he entreats people who have tried to live their lives really, really, really well. Like they could get it done themselves. And he entreats the both of them to come in on the basis of repentance and faith. Because they both need to. So the father, verse 31, so he says to him, 
son, you're always with me. You've got me. You have me. And all that is mine is yours, which was absolutely positively true. Because all that was left would go to the, the older son. What's your beef? You've got me and all the stuff. What's the problem? He was a New York dad, that's what he would say. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. Won't you celebrate? And the parable ends. And you have no idea if the older son ever gets it. How ironic. The people that we think are least likely to become Christians more easily become Christians than the people we think would be most likely to uphold our high standards and, and conform to biblical morality and all those kinds of things. Those are the people that have a hard time coming to Christ. I was one of them, I know. Those are the people that have a hard time coming to Christ. All right. Why is this, maybe it's obvious, why this is important for us thinking about judgments. The title is, Where Does Judgment Come From and Why Is It Dangerous? There are just two points of application and we'll go to the Lord's table. Where does judgment come from? I think very obviously it comes from proud self-righteousness. Judgment comes from proud self-righteousness. So when you think about your own judgment, of, so, again, go back to the beginning, first couple of verses, right? Whether it's judgment of those sinners, right? Or it's judgment of people within the family of God for whatever reason. And we'll get a couple of sermons down the road, the things that have sort of fractured in the culture of CPC and how judgment played a role in that. We'll get there. But when you find yourself judging someone, what would be a good path of walking out repentance and faith at that moment is to say, how am I being proud, proudly self-righteous right now? How am I being proudly self-righteous right now? So where does judgment come from? It comes from proud self-righteousness. I'm sorry, there's just no other way to put it than that bluntly but that's where it comes from. Why is it dangerous? Well, all you have to do is look at this interaction at the end between the older son and the father and map it over the judgmental conversations that you've had with people or that people have had with you. It's very easy to see how dangerous this is. It breaks and fractures relationship. That's what proud self-righteous judgment does, is it breaks and fractures relationship. The reason that that's a problem, hopefully it's obvious that it's a problem, but let me just bring it home, is there's just 
two things that Jesus says is the sum of the law and the prophets. Love God. And do you remember the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And if the, it's beautiful, right? This is beautiful. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Why? He was perfectly righteous. They couldn't have felt good that they were drawing near to him. He never sinned. But why, why did they draw near to him? Because he loved his neighbor as himself. They sensed true, genuine love and compassion in Jesus, and he was a magnet for people. This is always the way that true Christianity works. That if you love people genuinely with compassion, they are drawn to hear the word of grace, the gospel. It's not more complex than that. And that's why judgment is so dangerous. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us such marvelous passages such as these, that your heart is on display. that you have love and compassion and grace as we come back to our senses, as we come back to you. Whether we come back from things that we never want to share with anybody again because we're so ashamed of them and we feel so guilty for them. Or we come back from proud self-righteousness and we turn from our pride And we kind of humbly thank you, Father, that you receive us as we come by faith in Christ. Thank you that your heart's like that. Would you, Holy Spirit, would you alert me? Would you alert us to the great danger of judgment, of us judging others, that we might be struck at how destructive it is and that we would turn from it to you. Help us too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.